0: Next on PIJN News, Dr. Chaps reports on these important issues.
1: What happened after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Well, the first 600 years of church history has been chronicled in an important book, Jesus in the World, written by James Watkins. We interview him today. On this show, we would normally like to report the news, discern the spirits, and pray the scriptures. But on today's show, we have a distinguished author and church historian, James Watkins, has written an important book, Jesus in the World, The First 600 Years. It's about church history, and it's about what happened after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what happened after Jesus was resurrected and ascended into heaven. We know the Bible account. We even know the book of Acts but what about church history immediately after that? Welcome to the program via Skype from Chicago, our new friend, James Watkins. James, you've written an important book. Why did you write a church history book about Jesus in the world?
2: Thank you for having me, uh, Doctor. I uh, interact on social media quite a bit, and uh, a lot of groups, and became quite surprised at the lack of fundamental knowledge that people have that I think maybe a generation or two ago, all of us knew the basics. I mean, I run across people who don't even know who Noah was nowadays. So I was called uh, by the Lord to write this book to lay a foundation, especially against the uh, Da Vinci Code and the History Channel sort of uh, nonsense that goes out there that people tend to believe about the lost books of the Bible and Constantine wrote the Bible and all that sort of thing.
1: Well, you are wise to follow Jesus. I know you are an evangelical Christian like we are, and we want to stick to the Bible account uh, of what happened, for example, to the 12 apostles. And and after the book of Acts ends, of course, we hear later in church history about the beheading of Paul, about the upside-down crucifixion of Peter. Uh, the 12 disciples all ended poorly, except John, the disciple John, Uh, was not martyred, he died of natural causes in his old age, but 11 out of the 12, including the replacement apostle Matthias, were all martyrs for the Christian faith. Um, Did you start by doing your research with the church historian Eusebius, not the heretic, but the historian who who wrote an accurate account a few hundred years after uh, the Bible was written?
2: Yes, certainly. Eusebius uh, figured prominently in, in my research. I think I read everything he wrote. And uh, I gathered together about 144 books altogether on that period of church history and leaned what I thought were the most interesting uh, things I found, especially things that surprised me, that I didn't know.
1: Well, I wanna read, uh, this is not from your book, but but some of the accounts of the martyrs from the early church. For example, uh, the evangelist Matthew, who is is accredited to have written the Gospel of Matthew, suffered martyrdom in Ethiopia, was killed by a sword wound. Mark died in Alexandria, Egypt, dragged by horses through the streets until he was dead. Luke was hanged in Greece as a result of his preaching to the lost. Uh, The apostle John, was exiled to a prison in Patmos, the island. Uh, He wrote the book of Revelation there, or his disciples did. Uh, And he was later freed and died in modern-day Turkey of of natural causes, was not martyred. Peter, the beloved disciple of Christ, was crucified upside down because uh, the tormentors told him he was gonna be crucified like Jesus, and he said, no, I'm not worthy to die the same way Jesus did. And of course, James, uh, the early leader of the church in Jerusalem was reportedly thrown down over 100 feet to his death from the pinnacle of the temple where Jesus himself had been tempted by Satan. Um, Those are just some of the accounts of the early martyrs. Why do you think these men were willing to die for their faith in Jesus Christ?
2: Well, I think uh, what stands out for sure is that they all believed the story they were telling was true. You don't really find men who are willing to die for something unless they're absolutely sure it's true. Well, how did you come
1: to know Jesus and why do you believe it's true?
2: Well, I was uh, fortunate to have uh, two saintly grandmothers who um, brought me to Christ as a teenager but I was always in church since I was a toddler. Uh, neither of my parents went to church or read the Bible, but uh, uh, two godly grandmothers did me a good turn and I was baptized at uh, age 18, I believe it was, and I've uh, been trying my best to follow the Lord ever since.
1: Well, thank God for that. Um, I know you're writing this as as a Christ lover, as someone who wants to Continue the tradition, uh, but church history is a good way to help us understand why the early church continued in the legacy of uh, the Gospels and the Book of Acts. Uh, for example, Paul, the beloved apostle who wrote most of the epistles while in prison, was in the end offered uh, execution. He appealed to the emperor, uh, allegedly Nero, in AD 67. Uh, put Paul or sentence Paul to death by beheading instead of by crucifixion because Roman citizens of which Paul was a Roman citizen, were allowed a quick death and beheading was the most merciful. Uh, Although to us, of course, that's anathema. Anytime someone is killed for their faith, that's a horrendous wrong and a great persecution. Uh, How were you inspired by Peter and Paul and, and the way they lived and the way they died?
2: Paul is an incredible inspiration. I think he must have uh, walked 7,000 miles and, uh, you know, through uh, very tough terrain and wild animals and bandits, and it was a pretty wild time to be living back then. And um, I think, you know, all the times he was beaten and uh, tortured and put in prison and everything else, um, I don't think there are any, any men like Paul since him. So, I mean, who could you compare to Paul?
1: I think you're onto something there. Okay, let's take a short break. When we come back, I'll ask more about Jesus in the world, the first 600 years of church history with James Watkins. How can you discern the thoughts in your own mind from the thoughts that come to you from the Holy Spirit? or from angels or from invisible demons. I'm Dr. Chaps, and you've seen us on this show talk about the gift of discerning of spirits. Maybe you know that I wrote my PhD dissertation entitled How to See the Holy Spirit and Angels and Demons. And it's all about this important topic of receiving the gift of discerning of spirits. How can you discern the thoughts that come to you? How do you know to learn to hear the voice of God and discern that from the demonic voice which tempts us to sin. Well, this is an important skill and it will change your ministry. It'll change your life, which is why we've created now not just a book, but a 17 part video Bible study on a four disc DVD set that we would like to send to you and your church and your family and your small group. This important Bible study series goes through Matthew, Mark, Luke and John How did Jesus discern the spirits? How did the Apostle Paul discern the spirits? What does the Old Testament say about demons and the Holy Spirit and angels? When you learn to discern, it will transform your life and your ministry. Please visit our website, PrayInJesusName.org and get this important video resource or call us toll free at 866-Obey-God and for a suggested donation of $99, we'll give you the entire 17 part Bible study series for just $99. And if you order today, we'll throw in the book for free. Visit our website, prayinjesusname.org, or call us toll free at 866 Obey God. Get this important Bible study series for your family. Call today. Welcome back, I'm Dr. Chaps, interviewing James Watkins, who has written an important book, Jesus in the World, The First 600 Years. And James, I just wanna read through some of the table of contents here. And you go after uh, the church fathers, uh, and you can name some of those. I'm thinking maybe um, you mentioned the historian Eusebius, but also uh, Tertullian was an important father. Ignatius, uh, Ignatius of Antioch, Uh, not Ignatius of Loyola who came later in the 1500s, but uh, you think about um, some of the other martyrs who stood, Justin, for example, who stood up for orthodoxy when the church was defining orthodoxy. And I wonder who who would you like to talk about among the early church fathers?
2: Well, I don't wanna forget the uh, Cappadocian fathers, uh, Basil and the two Gregories, they also um, had a great influence, a great influence on the uh, early church and especially on the setting of doctrine, uh, much of which is still with us today. Um, you named the others there pretty well, Justin Martyr and and uh, Origen is a very interesting uh, character as well. And and then, of course, we get up into Jerome and uh, Ambrose and, and St. Augustine. So,
1: can you describe for me what happened at some of the church councils, for example, the Church of the Council of Nicaea helped us fight against some of the heresies that were emerging, and we defined uh, or, or, or bishops from all around the world assembled in Nicaea uh, This is uh, whether you count the, the three twenty six council or the 381 Council of Constantinople, where they agreed on the ideas of the Trinity. For example, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all co-equal members of the Trinity. Why is that important that they met and decided that?
2: Well, uh, Constantine, what he wanted most of all was unity in his empire. And I don't think he really cared which way the, the decisions went But uh, there are a lot of rumors that float around nowadays in social media and maybe even on on television that that they got together and decided what the Bible was going to say and things of that nature, which is totally false. Essentially, you had uh, a man named Arius, who uh, was more of uh, a—did not believe in the Trinity. He was an anti-Trinitarian, and he had a large following— And that was the main dispute that had to be settled, the dispute between him and Athanasius, and Athanasius won, and it wasn't even close, it was a resounding rout in the end, for the Trinity side. Yes,
1: and so the church assembled and all the bishops declared this, but you mentioned the emperor Constantine, this was the first Christian Roman emperor when the state finally weighed in and said, we're gonna stop persecuting and killing Christians, stop feeding them to the lions like all the previous emperors did. But the emperor Constantine instead embraced the gospel and called for the convening of these bishops to, to form a great council. Constantine himself, ironically, Sided with Arian. Constantine was a was a heretic for a while, and then uh, later, on his deathbed, or maybe his sons, eventually affirmed the Athanasian doctrine of the Trinity. Thank God, we're not all Jehovah's Witnesses today. For example, believing the Arian heresy that Jesus was not a God, that Jesus was just an angel or a created being. No, instead, we believe that Jesus is God, like it says in the Bible in John one one, in the beginning was God, and Uh, was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. So we know that Jesus is God, not only because of John 1-1, but because Athanasius won the argument, and eventually, the the Roman government uh, affirmed the decision of the church fathers.
2: Yes, that's exactly right. Uh, The controversy did go on for some time after, uh, amongst some political leaders, that were involved, but as for the church itself, it's been pretty solidly Trinitarian uh, most of the time since. Of course, heresy never goes away. There's heresy obviously still today.
1: Yes, so I wanna, again, read referring to the table of contents here of your book, Jesus in the world, the first 600 years, Again, you can find this wherever books are sold, maybe Amazon or other places, written by James A. Watkins. Use the middle initial A because there's a lot of other James Watkins out. James A. Watkins is the author of this book. Uh, I wanna get back to uh, the, the saints versus the heretics. Are there some other heresies that come to mind that were defeated, maybe not just through the first church council, but there were seven early church councils that decided what is orthodoxy today?
2: Well, yes, you know, um, one of Satan's great tricks is to infiltrate the church. So naturally he's always had men, he still does today, but back then he had men who would enter the church and, and even get up in the pulpit, who would uh, preach heresies. There were many of them, and a lot of them were, were quite damaging. So I do have a section of the book that uh, delves into the the main heresies that went on in those days and explains how they were uh, defeated by uh, heresy fighters. And of
1: course, the the heresy fighters you're referring to, uh, some of them we already mentioned, like Athanasius, they all agreed with the Bible, right? Is the Bible the basis of our orthodoxy or was it redefined by later bishops that uh, say that the Catholic tradition says that, well, we can rewrite Orthodoxy later on, it doesn't have to be based on the Bible necessarily.
2: Well, I think that Orthodoxy is certainly based on the Bible the Bible is the the final say. So everything has to be measured against God's word in the end. So, and this was one of the things that happened also with the, what you mentioned about the heresy and, and getting in also like the Gnostics, the Gnosticism, was all the fake gospels that started popping up in the second, third, and fourth centuries. You know, new books that were supposedly hidden away, and now they've been discovered. And, you know, uh, people do sort of like novelty. So a new gospel of Jimmy Joe or whatever would pop up, and uh, <laughs> some people would believe it, and that would have to be dealt with uh, by church authorities.
1: Well, you're right. For example, the Gospel of Thomas is a fake gospel. It's a, it's one of those Gnostic heresies, and yet CNN or or uh, the History Channel they like to point to these fake gospels. Why aren't they in the Bible? Why were the 66 books of the Bible codified as the canon?
2: Well, that was also the result of uh, a lot of, of churchmen meeting and praying. There was a lot of prayer involved. It wasn't just uh, men getting together, deciding things. You'll find that these were very holy men and very serious men. And prayer was always heavily involved, asking God to guide them into what should be included or not included uh, in the final canon of the Bible. And that was set a long, long time ago. We still read the same Bible today that they read in the uh, second century.
1: Yes, and, and yes. I think that's important what you just said, that the original books of the Bible were written during the first century, were were uh, discovered or, or the last, uh, I suppose, written down versions of the original documents were handed to us in the second century. And since then, they have never changed. And when the canon was closed by the Church of Constantinople, uh, the Council of Constantinople after 381, Uh, No other books of the Bible could have been added, although uh, the Catholic Church later recognizes some apocryphal books. We as Protestants recognize the 66 books of the Bible. uh, And in fact, the King James Bible includes those, uh, which proliferated after Uh, the Church of England and and King James uh, sort of finalized that forever I think in the minds of American Christians. Let's take a short break. When we come back more with James Watkins who wrote Jesus in the World.
2: Dr. Chaps will be right back with more PIJN News.
1: You know I've been doing a lot of praying and for years I've been teaching about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, what really happened on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two? Why did the disciples receive the power from God to do Christian ministry? And how can you experience the baptism in the Holy Spirit for your own power ministry? This is a five part teaching newly available. We just put this out. Part one is the baptism in the Holy Spirit, how to receive the power of God in your life. Then we go into part two, the gifts, the power gifts of the Holy Spirit. Part three is every instance we could find of speaking in tongues throughout church history. It's not an old gift, it's for you today. And also we have interviews with Charles Johnson and Lana Heightley. I wanna encourage you to get this product when you visit our our website, PrayInJesusName.org. Click on the online bookstore at the top of the page, PrayInJesusName.org available for a suggested donation of $30. Or you can call us at 866-Obey-God. Again, that's 866-O-B-E-Y-G-O-D. This is a topic that uh, in the last century was responsible for up to 800 million Christians around the world experiencing the gift of tongues in their own private prayer life. How can you have powerful intercession in your prayer life with God? This will energize you as a Christian and it's all Bible based. This is real step-by-step instruction through the scriptures. We want you to have the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Before you even uh, begin to experience that, it might be important if you learn what the Bible says about that gift. Again, yours today for a do- suggested donation of $30. Get this product today at PrayInJesusName.org. Operators standing by at 866 God.
0: empowering you, the grassroots activist. Here is Dr. Chaps. Welcome back, I'm
1: Dr. Chaps. Joined for one more segment with historian James Watkins, who has written this book, Jesus in the World, The First 600 Years. Uh, James, I wanna defer to you. You have some chapters here about the the Celts. I'm I'm thinking uh, uh, the Irish, maybe St. Patrick. Uh, And then the Greek fathers, the Latin fathers. And how do we end up here around the the first 600 years with the Roman Catholic Church.
2: To uh, clarify one thing I said earlier, and that was that the, the books were all written in the first century, as you said. What I meant by we had the Bible as it is today in the second century was the collection all together in one place. You know, they used to read them individually, here and there, some people had some, some had others. The whole collection came together about the middle of the second century, and we still read the same collection today. But, um, yes, what I have there is a story of how the Christian faith spread throughout to the uh, Celtic people and the German people as it began to spread uh, from its original start. And it's just interesting how these uh, pagan peoples would be encountered by missionaries and how they would uh, come to believe in Christ and come to believe in the Bible. And there are a lot of great stories in there that I think are very fascinating. And as you said, uh, St. Patrick, his story is is in there of course, and the story of the uh, English. And I would have gone further, but I already was over 300 pages and I thought I would stop right about the birth of Islam. And I am now in fact, working on uh, the sequel. Well, that'd be
1: great, I I would love to read that one. Um, Tell me about the, the difference between the Greek fathers and the Latin fathers, some of them, uh, obviously the Roman governed world spoke the Latin language and and was pro- politically prominent in the West, but Greek is the language of the New Testament as, as predominant in the East. A division. If you draw a line between, for example, Italy and Greece, you can say the Eastern Church spoke Greek and eventually became Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox. They followed more of the teachings of, uh, of Basil, as you said, or uh, some of the Eastern Fathers. Uh, whereas the Western Fathers developed into the Catholic Church that follows the authority of the one Roman Bishop, who eventually they called Pope. Is that different than the six bishops that governed the Eastern church, and why are they not subservient to the Roman Pope?
2: Well, that's a very good question, Doctor. The, um, in the end, the church is going to split around AD 1050 into two churches because of language. That's the main thing is that the, uh, the New Testament was written in Greek, and there are those who thought that Greek should be the language of Christianity. But the people in the West, Uh, thought otherwise, they thought Latin, that was their language, that's what they understood. And uh, so at the time the gospel was only in basically the two languages. I'm sure it was available in Hebrew also, but the church ended up splitting right in half about 450 years later over language. And it's important that uh,
1: we also notice that although the New Testament is written in Greek and the Old Testament, obviously in Hebrew, that they were both translated into Latin in the Vulgate. And there were some important um, uh, translators who put that in the Latin language, which made it more popular throughout Latin speaking countries, France, uh, even England at the time, before it was translated into English, the way we received it in North America. How has the, the translation of the Bible affected our interpretation of the Bible?
2: Well, you know, translation is something used against Christianity today by many so-called uh, scholars, you know, at our universities. They will try to pick pick at some little point where, you know, the Bible's in 5,500 languages now. So what they try to say is that the Bible's been put out in all these different versions. Well, they're not versions, they're translations, and and the message of the Bible is always the same.
1: Amen to that. We have just a minute left. James, I wonder if you would uh, uh, lead us in a word of prayer or otherwise encourage people to, to live up to the spirit of the early church.
2: I certainly will. Uh, Heavenly Father, we pray for your guidance, for your mercy, for your forgiveness. And we pray that you will shine a light under our path, show us which way we should go and how we can serve you. And serve your people and our fellow man for the rest of our days. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen and Amen. Our guest has been James Watkins. His book is Jesus in the World, The First Six Hundred Years. I encourage you to read it because it's actually a fun read. It's got uh stories of, of heroes and anti-heroes and 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 how we came to be the church that we are today and, and who is driving the ideas of orthodoxy. Our website is PrayInJesusName.org. Please donate when you visit or call us today at 866 God. If you need prayer, call us, 866-O-B-E-Y-G-O-D. We'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Dr. Chaps. I wanna introduce my friend, Mike Lindell, who wants to help support our ministry in the work of PIJN News. Uh, Mike, what do you think? Well, I think everybody out there, y'all need to get behind Pray Jesus Name's ministry. Dr. Chaffs here with this great ministry needs your support and you could you should donate to it. You can also use your promo code PrayNews and anything you're getting from my pillow with big discounts, a lot of those proceeds are coming right back. I'm going to put them right back into this into your amazing charity and show. Well, thank you, sir. I accept that endorsement, and we support your work at MyPillow.com. Remember, everybody, when you visit, use the promo code PRAYNEWS. You get a big discount, and our charity gets a little bit of help. So thank you, Mike Lindell, for your support.
2: They get a lot of help, not a little bit, a lot of help.
1: (laughs) We need all we can get, for Jesus' name, amen.
2: Amen.